Welcome to episode seven of Ed's Not Dead. I am Robbie Dodd, and I'm joined by my co-hosts. We're going to break with tradition this oh. week. Oh. First of all, Mr. Peter Crable. Hey! <laughs> all right. Alphabetical all right. order. Do you feel better? Uh, yeah. Okay. That'd be good. Yep. All right. <laughs> and of course, Mr. Casey Siddons. Yep. I'm here. Uh, it's great to be back on the air. We have a wonderful show planned today. As always, you can reach me at R.W. Dodd on Twitter, Mr. Sids. At C.H. Siddons. At Peter Crable. All right. Any feedback on episode six, uh, which was an epic show with Curtis Linton, beginning our equity series? I got a lot of feedback about okay. it. Okay. What'd mm-hmm. you hear? Uh, everybody that I talked to really enjoyed the discussion that we had with with Mr. Linton. Okay. Any trolling from Mr. Patterson? No? Nope. Okay. So he took a week off? Yeah. Okay, good. How about you, Mr. Krabs? No. Did you hear anything? I, no. I just had a favorite part where Casey says something and he goes, it's a great time, but a challenging time. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. <laughs> I don't even, what's he talking about? Yeah. Uh, the best we, of times, it was the worst. No, you, you asked how the okay. school year was going, and Casey gave a very evasive uh, answer. Oh, yeah. When vague, he, vague, yeah, vague, when he wouldn't, vague, yeah, he wouldn't give us any specifics. Yeah. I'm trying to get you guys to, to, to share about your lives get as so educators. Edgy. I also don't want to like talk too much. No, you're good. You know. You're good. Uh, Mr. Krabs has had to remind us during our two weeks in between shows that our arguing on on uh, text that we need to save it for the show. <laughs> Stop. You, save it. Save it. Casey, you, you got me you, so angry. You and I have it. Uh, what, what was the last one I got you? Oh, about the lecture. Uh, did you see? Oh, the, we did got some feedback on that. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Oh, that was a good see, uh, that was a good. Segment. I asked him about feedback Very and good. it took him a minute. Sorry. <laughs> No, you guys keep talking. I got it. <laughs> you you had someone that challenged you directly about lecturing, which they should have because you're wrong. No, I'm not wrong. But um, <laughs> Tammy. Tammy. Who lives in Mexico. Tammy, why Does not? she have a oh. podcast? She does have a podcast. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll, pu- I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, we'll what's, link the, what's the name of her podcast? Uh, I don't have it on the top of my head, but okay. we will put it in the show notes, as I said, <laughs> if you listen to me, if you actually actively listen to me. Okay, go ahead. Um, but anyway, so Tammy was talking about um, the effectiveness of lectures, and we were going back and forth on, on Twitter, direct message. She didn't troll me. She was uh, just having a good conversation. And I'd actually like to have an episode about what she was talking about, and it's a instructional technique called direct instruction. That I've never heard of that. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, sorry. No, I, you're being flippant. That's very funny. So when people hear direct instruction, right. they think – that that means someone standing in the front of the class lecturing. Right. But, but if you read into what direct instruction actually entails, it doesn't really mean that. And we had a good discussion on the direct message about that. So there is a distinction between direct instruction and what you consider lecturing. Correct. Okay. Yes. All right. So maybe we can unpack that. We can Ooh. unpack it. Yeah. Maybe our, Tammy will want to come on our show. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have Tammy on. Um, and we'd love to plug her podcast. In the show notes. In the, <laughs> the show, show notes, yes. Yeah, yeah, we will, during the course of the show, you will find the name of her podcast so we can... Yep. Okay. All right. Well, we've got a great show today. We are going to be discussing the state of Kansas and the seismic shift in the way schools are going to be structured in Kansas. Dare I say the age-graded school is in its 
death throes, it sounds like, in Kansas. <laughs> oh, maybe only in Kansas. Yeah. It's lived to the ripe old age of, I think, over 100. So, mm. uh, so it's we're time gonna, for a change. Absolutely. So we're going to discuss what this means for teaching learning and how Kansas actually intends to pull this off. Uh, we're also going to have another installment of Dear Betsy. hey We get great feedback about Dear Betsy on the show. Uh, Casey's going to update us on the secretary's moves to dispense with quite a few special education policies. How many exactly? Do you know? 62? Okay. that's Something that, like that. 60 something? That's a big number. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get into Dear Betsy and ask about her... Uh, her Motives. <laughs> motives. I totally lost my train of thought. Word, word, okay, word. I'm sure they're they're well intentioned. And finally, uh, we have a great segment uh, for educational excellence this week, produced by Michael Levin Epstein and Sue Semplis. We have Ardith Weworka on the show. Uh, she is a child development specialist, and she is going to talk to us about the importance of providing high quality after school programs, after school activities to kids and the difference those programs make in student achievement and student psychosocial development. I'm so, excited to hear what Ardith has to say yes, about it's that. Gonna be, Overlooked. It's, it's going to be great. So that's Ed Excellence. Uh, but first, you guys, mm-hmm. do you all know who Laura Ingraham is? Uh, the little I do know, it's an unfortunate amount of information. Like what? <laughs> it's Give us something. She's a conservative talk show, radio talk show host who says things that liberals get mad at <laughs> this is very true okay is that, that, mr grable do you have anything else to add no, about laura ingram more aside from the and she's been doing it a long time all right yes she has almost as many listeners on her radio show as us on our podcast <laughs> uh no i actually think that laura ingram probably is in the top three to five of talk radio hosts in the country she's recently been, been described as the high priestess of hate. Wow. Uh, as it relates to... That's quite a distinction. A political commentary. Um, but Laura Ingraham has a new show that's going to be premiering on Fox News at 10 o'clock. Oh, great. Um, the, the the network we all know has been under kind of a shakeup based on some of the bad behavior of uh, their hosts. Hello, everyone. But I wanted, <laughs> I, I wanted to read you a quote that relates to education that Laura Ingraham recently made. You ready? I'm sure it's great. I agree with it, probably. Uh, Yeah, no, you're going to be all over this. (laughs) (laughs) In California, we have dozens of languages being spoken in public school. You tell me what the English-speaking poor kid, black, white, brown, Asian, where does he or she get to go to get a quality education? When the teachers are pulled in every direction, when the state is having to hire teachers from overseas to come teach these kids... And by the way, Chinese, Hmong, and Somali languages, very remote languages that were never even an issue in the United States. So that's costing the good people, Catholics, Christians, that's costing them opportunities and money. <laughs> I, I don't even I don't even want to res- no. <laughs> Come on, respond. No, I don't want to because I didn't bring it up to, for you not to respond. <laughs> it's just I, I, why are we even giving her any kind of time? To even talk about what okay. she has to say. Because you are the one that always talk about how when people make comments on, like this, we have to call them we out. Have to call them out. We have to if call them out. If, if we're in face-to-face, yes, let's do that. Yeah, but we have so many listeners. We could start we some kind influence. of a, a – Yeah, we could we could really influence the discourse on this. Ah, what are you going to say? Ah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big sigh, that's for sure. I mean, it's, it's just like, okay, it's – 
this stupid underbelly of America. I mean, it's it's the xenophobic fear of the outsider. If you speak a different language, you're a threat to us. I mean, you know, it's it's a typical line. As she lives yep. in her gated gated community right. in yep. right. in McLean, Virginia, it's it's, it's a biz- saying. So it's it's not even, I don't even know. Unfortunate is the right word, but saying stuff like that is. It makes her money. It's it's yeah, it's, it's good for business. It is yep. good for business. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the ridiculous thing yeah. is it's yeah. good for business yeah. because there are people out there who think that. Yeah. And there was a study recently that came out that said, or a poll, I guess, um, that the majority of white Americans feel discriminated against. Mm-hmm. And so I will, when I hear that, I'm like, well, how exactly? And so I think this is- Because ex- of these kinds r- of comments. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Because there's all these foreigners coming and they're speaking different languages. Therefore, I am discriminated against because I might be expected to know anything about anybody right. aside from myself. Yep. Because basically part of their privilege of of whatever they grew up with is being – they feel like something's being taken away from them. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's it's adding to their to the, to the quotient, the co- cultural quotient of their life. They're just complaining about it because it's someone different than them. All right. Well, I knew that I could get you guys to <laughs> – to call out uh, never again. Yeah, do the, the high you have to admit the high pe- high priestess of hate a is, is a great yeah, that is a good one. That's a great moniker, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so let's switch gears. Peter Hancock has a story in Lawrence Journal World that describes, might I say, an innovative approach to teaching and learning in Kansas schools. After conducting an extensive listening tour, which I just have to tell you, I'm not quite sure what that is. They uh, went and listened. To, listen, they went and yeah, listened to okay. people. In 2015, Kansas is currently piloting a new structure that does not group kids by grade for instruction. These pilot schools are actually named after the Mercury 7. Uh, I guess they're they're um, relating this the pioneers yeah these this big <laughs> pioneering effort in Kansas to the NASA space program in the 1960s which is kind of a, a catchy way to think about it yeah. um, because it is going to be very innovative I think um, first of all fellas the age graded school I would say is one of the biggest innovations in American public education it kind of changed everything what was uh, it before age I think the idea of the one one room schoolhouse oh, that makes where, sense. where yep. kids were, you know, mixed together and front row was first grade, second row. A- absolutely. And so, you know, historians will tell you that the age graded school came along with the big three. You know what the big three are? Nope. Secularization of schools, taxation, and centralization. So when those three things really started to take over, the, the Horace, Man, Horace Man, the Horace Man era, correct. And so the age-graded school was really a part of that. So my question to you all is, does it benefit students to group them merely by their age? And what benefits will we get or will Kansas get by benefit by grouping kids on other factors aside from age? Can we back up a little bit? No. I want to make a blanket statement. You, yes. And then you can back okay. up. I love anything that's innovative in education, and I think it's great, and I don't see any potential downsides. (laughs) Blanket. Blanket. Uh, I'm backing up because... Why? Why did we? Did anybody research about why they're doing this? Is it because of the 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 no taxes for like five years? No, I I did look in a little bit of it. Um, So because of the listening tour. Well, (laughs) because the background of it was they Kansas. Cut, so th- cut a lot of taxes. Right. So they actually had a, a $700 million shortfall. Um, and I believe 
believe in just their education budget. Um, yeah, that or the whole state budget. But I'm pretty sure I read it was in. That's a lot of money. Just the, yeah, they were way short on money because they cut taxes for everybody. So is this a back backdoor uh, way to get rid of teachers? I didn't, to, to reduce operating I didn't budgets see, or I salaries. Mean, I don't no, know it's, 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 about it was the state saying. experiment of trickle down economics. What is what it was? Right, that was the taxation. But then right. the, the sub, this subsequent action, I, I'm not sure oh, if, it's, okay. if it's tied in at all. Okay, so back it up, Mr. Yeah. What now we have say. to go forward. And that's yeah. what I was asking. Was right. Okay, what, what was the? Right. All right, so now respond to my my statement that nothing bad could come of okay. this, uh, and it could not. I will, no, no, I I think. I, I to to some extent I I agree. I think there needs to be some sort of flexibility. I don't know if at a state level it needs to happen, but it seems like it's only happening with a small amount of schools. I think seven it, schools, seven schools. So I think, uh, but that's a pilot in ten years, twenty twenty six. The idea is all I think roughly two hundred and eighty five school districts. All schools will be non age graded. It's 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 also hard in terms of how you do research for education in terms of uh, ethical ways of doing education, you're putting kids in a situation that you're, you're not really sure how it's going to turn out. So that's uh, why it's innovative. It is innovative, but you're also putting <laughs> the future of, of children and their learning in, in hands that we don't really know what's going to happen. So is it appropriate to have a sixth grader in a 12th grade class? Probably not. Or like a, surrounded by eighteen year olds, probably not. Good question. But like, if it's a sixth grader who maybe could be pushed to eighth grade because they're reading at a, at an eighth or ninth grade reading level, yep. I think that's. I think there needs to be flexibility in that. So two things. One, I I did to find out what it was called. It's called competence based education as opposed to age based education. Yeah. Okay. And the other interesting thing that I found was Kansas City, Missouri. It's confusing. It's not Kansas. Um, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, that, it's I not, know. You know Kansas why, City is not I, in Kansas. No. You, you know why that Shut is, don't you? Up. Because we were taught social studies, not geography. <laughs> <laughs> so Crable does that has no clue what he's what, what he's where he's talking about. It's in the middle of the country. Okay, go ahead. All right, anyway, <laughs> so they actually pushed to do this. I, saw, I read an article. I think it was in 2010, but I could find nothing about its actual implementation, about its actual success or failure. So I don't know if it was an idea that never came to fruition, um, or if you know they did it in some schools and it was terrible. Because I was trying to find okay, what are some success stories of schools and/or school districts that have done this? What are some failures of, that have done it um, as well? And couldn't find anything about it. But with that being said. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Montessori model. Yes, very so, very little. So Montessori, um, I'm not sure about older grades, but definitely younger grades. It's all about mixed age levels in the same classroom, right, in right. the same learning environment. Uh-huh. So it's not, I mean, we say innovative, and oh my gosh, it's, you know, but like most things in education, it's not, this is not out of nowhere. You know, there is um, a little bit of historical background on okay, it. Okay, so my only concern, to counter you and and that it's all going to be... Wine and Honky ro- dory. Yeah, wine and roses. Um, there's a quote in the article where one of the leaders of this effort says, quote, I think you're going to walk in there and maybe <laughs> maybe see a group of kids, not based on age, but based on experience and where they're at. You may see 30 kids in a room with three adults supporting that. The whole structure of it. It's hard to define. <laughs> Okay, so that causes me a little bit of pause. Well, that's, because that's, they that's, thought that's, this out. Uh, yeah, that's, the MO, yeah. that's the MO of policymakers who have no idea what they're talking about. 
<laughs> okay, but yeah, I think this is uh, I, that just that's Brad Nuenswander. He's the deputy commissioner in charge of learning. What's his name? <laughs> You're going to make me say that again. Neuschwander. <laughs> Neuschwanstein. Uh, He's the deputy commissioner in charge of learning services who has been most directly involved in the project. Mr. Nuenswander has no idea what they're doing. Hold if on, I'm a, if I'm a parent quote. in that, that's not going to work. Read the other quote. Okay. What's the, the, and we had a more homogenous clientele. Oh, yeah. This is a great one. And we had a more homogenous clientele. So when you looked at a third grade, the achievement gap, there was a gap, but it wasn't that wide. Now it's pretty wide. <laughs> okay. he, he seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah. yeah. So, so I think uh, back to, to, to yeah. your point, though, about what, is it something that's good for kids? I wonder, would it work in only schools? Like if you're... In third grade, and you're reading at a higher level, you you can only go up to fifth grade, if that's as high as the elementary school can go. Right. And if you're in, in middle school, sixth rate, so you can only move between those. If you're in high school, you can only mean, move between ninth and and twelfth. Now, I, I, yeah, and there's also the, there's also the maturity levels and the and the brain development that's just not. Well, and two two things that I I actually did read, and I was being obviously slightly facetious about the whole thing in terms of it being great with no drawbacks is. One, I guess there has been some research done about um, mixed ability classes versus homogenous classes, and really, homogenous classes don't actually produce that like greater outcomes no. for students at the top. So, I think there is some research out there that says just putting sort of you know I'm using quotes here higher ability kids in more advanced classes doesn't really benefit them all that much. And the second thing that I think you would 100% encounter is just a rehash of the tracking system. Oh, yeah. So I think... Well, what, that's what I thought you yeah. were just yeah. getting at. Yeah, our, I mean... Our, I mean if yeah. we're, you're, if, you're, you're, that's where you end up. That in, 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 and there's no scenario that I see inevitably where you don't end up oh, tracking Okay, kids. so yep. Crable's now starting to argue against himself. Yeah. Yeah. No, does. no, I was, setting, I was trying to set a trap for you to walk okay. into. Then I was going to be like... Yeah. <laughs> you can't get me with a tracking trap. <laughs> that, that was good. That, I mean, you're right, though. So I finish your thought. I'm sorry. That was it. Is that That's what people fall back on. You're going to track kids, and guess who's going to be tracked into lower level and ability class? People of color. Yeah. So, I mean, I do think that, um, you know, a lot of the purposes or historical purposes behind our public ed system was really about developing the individual to be a citizen, right? We're really about developing citizens that share the same values and the principles of our country. Yeah. Um, I do think this is interesting because it's kind of taking – it's moving from that view, from kind of the citizenry social view to uh, what does it say about developing the individual? Um, I think there's a strain of kind of individualism in this that they're, that it's very kid-focused. It could be very personalized. Sure. Which I'm intrigued by, um, because there are other systems across the uh, across the world that do focus less on kind of the the macro. We're developing American citizens and really focus on on developing the internal individual. Um, and I don't think we do that as much in in public schools. And that's what this sounds like. It might be geared towards when I work with teachers and they get on your point when they get talking about content. To the point where it's like it's just a laser myopic focus. 
the question that I was posed years ago was, what do you want them to remember in five years? What do you want them to get out of this class in five years? Are, are they going to remember some primary source content right. that, you know, obviously is important, but is it is it something that they're going to remember in five years? And inevitably, the answer is they're not going to remember that. They're going to remember the relationship with the teacher, right? the positive relationship, or maybe the negative relationship. They're going to remember, hopefully, maybe the, some of the skills they learned or the way that they problem solved, hopefully. Um, but... You know, at the end of the day, they're not going to remember or, or really care about the content. So I guess my other question is, thank you. I, 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 I totally agree with that. I, I do think that, again, though, to your point, content is kind of this external thing, right? Kids have to in, internalize content yeah. when they yeah. learn it. Yeah. So there's – so I'll be curious to see how you – how kids access content when they're not – um, together by age, is it by interest? Is it by skill level? Um, uh, so that's we're gonna, I guess, wait to see how that how that works out. The the last question I wanted to ask you is from an organizational point of view. This is a massive undertaking. Oh, yeah. oh, I mean, gosh. I really can't even as a system leader. I'm not sure I could get my head around um how you blow up an institution to this degree and completely transform it. I mean, this is not first order change. This is not second order change. <laughs> this is this is a whole rethinking yeah. of the way you deliver education to kids. Any uh, you guys want to take a shot in the dark at how how you would do it? No. Carefully. <laughs> carefully. Very carefully. Well, I mean, but but again, look, is it? I, I, is well, it okay, I mean, look, do schools get done. a say in this, or is this going to come from the top? And are they going to be told how to do it? Do schools have some autonomy where they say, "Okay, we think it's going to work this way for us," or is there going to be some plan? Because I think that has to be answered. I'm curious about. Yeah, I and mean, I don't think. I mean, so there was just not a lot of details, obviously in. I looked to see if there's any other articles that any more detail, and there, there's not, so they're not there. But I mean, with that being said, I don't think it's somehow inherently impossible to develop a system that does that. Yeah, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of difficult um, issues to tackle about the the logistics of how it's going to be done. But I think it can certainly be done. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I think likewise, if they leverage technology in such a way, that I, I think. They can move kids around more easily based on, you know, some string of competencies, core competencies that they're going to continue yeah. to measure. So, yeah, I think it can be done, but think about what it does think to that cre- alleviate. Think about what else. it does to credentialing, to an early childhood credential or an elementary school credential mm. or a middle or high school credential. All of those yeah. institutional structures that are set up around the age graded school curriculum. Yeah. I mean, it goes on and on the ripple effect that this would have yeah. on the way schools you know, have been stable and there's continuity and how they deliver these things, all those pieces have to be rethought. Jeez. But And that's okay. Because <laughs> we don't live in Kansas. Because <laughs> it's Kansas. There's also there's also a little bit of a there's a I shouldn't say a little, there's a good amount of people in the country who would are, are very probably very excited about this kind of change because yeah. because they feel that public schooling is a way to indoctrinate children into a you know a, a certain political viewpoint you know, or there is no system. There, there is no system. There is no system. And, and you know, and I've I also read some some comments that this is you know part of like the right wing conspiracy of school choice and everything. Um, I don't think because it's smart fu- enough to do that. It's funded by this organization called Alec, which is you know whatever. But it's a, it's a far right organization with a very specific agenda. Laura Ingraham. Yeah. 
But I, I was like, oh, yeah, is it like, I don't really see how that the school that fits into school choice and like a right wing kind of model. So maybe I'm just missing the, well, the dots that connect. They, but, they, they want to destroy the public school system. Yeah, but you. That they, would they, be a way to do it. Yeah, but they're, I mean. You want people to lose trust in institutions. So how do you do that? You blow it up. And you say it's for different reasons. Obviously, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But you say it's for this reason or that because we're going to be Ooh, focused on that is highly class. cynical, isn't it? Well, they, they, mean, they're doing it intentionally to blow. They know yeah. it's not going to work, and they're just yeah. implementing it yeah. so that they. Know I that would. It's I, I would. Let's set it up so listen, it fails. They want. They want people to see. Oh well, look. It's look at. It's just talk about bureaucrats and and people that are are in, are in, are in bureaucratic positions. In I'm the a government, bureaucrat. Right? Yes. Yeah. So no, no. Let, okay. Seriously, no. Hear but me I out, am, hear me yeah, out. Yeah, okay. So like. You look at bureaucrats, and let's say, let's talk about food inspectors. So you so that they they cut funding from food inspectors, and and maybe there's like three or four in a state. Right. So then they say, well, look, they can't even keep control and and keep tabs on all these places that need to be inspected. Right. So obviously they can't work. Right. When in reality they're just cutting funding back from it and saying and just to say, hey, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's a it's that's what they do. Yeah. No. That and they do that with positions in in. Um in school systems, they'll take positions away, and people will assume more of the workload, and the work will mostly get done uh, so they can say, yeah, look, we didn't need those positions. Yeah. The quality of the work might not be as good. So I, at, You know at, who does that? Who? Is Elon Musk. Does he really? Does he, I just read a book on him. So his assistant wanted a raise, and he, she'd been like his loyal assistant for 30 years or 20, like forever, and like right hand, like did everything for him. And she was like, I want to raise. And he's like, why don't you take three weeks off and I'll do your job for you. <gasps> and then I'll decide if you're really that important. In three weeks, he was like, no, you actually don't do that much. <laughs> goodbye. Like, goodbye. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a that that is a tri- that is a tried and true strategy in 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 the business world and public yeah. public institutions. That's that's what you do. Okay, so at the risk of a Wizard of Oz reference, um, <laughs> what it, did, does anybody recall what Dorothy said to Toto? Can't we're not in back. Kansas anymore. I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. So we're going to come back to this and see what Kansas does yeah. in the implementation of the ungraded school system. In season 10, we'll cap it off. <laughs> okay, yeah. A 2026 <laughs> retrospective. <laughs> <I love that. laughs> Looking back. All right. I'll, Troy on. Yeah. I'll have my AARP card by that time. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, it's a great discussion. Uh, folks, don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, fellas, we are very pleased on today's installment of Education Excellence to welcome on Ardeth Wiorka. Ardeth is the Chief Executive Officer of the Massachusetts After School Partnership, which is a nonprofit agency dedicated to ensuring that all children and youth in Massachusetts have equal access to high-quality after-school programming. Prior to her work in the private, for-profit, nonprofit education sectors, Ardeth served in the state government as the Commissioner of Massachusetts Office for Children and the Office of Child Care Services. So we are totally psyched to have Ardeth on the show today to talk about after-school programming. First of all, Peter and Casey, say hi. <laughs> hi, Ardeth. Hey. Hey there. All right, Ardeth, what are the benefits of after-school programs? You can kind of speak globally and then get as specific as you want to. Sure. Um, 
First of all, thanks for having me. This is such an important topic. Um, After-school programs are truly important because they are a critical part of a child's education. These programs, uh, they really give kids opportunities for enrichment, for new experiences. Um, A lot of kids find their inspiration for learning in these programs. It helps them, uh, give them a space to explore their interests. And you know, the research is in on this and it's really powerful. Kids attending quality after-school programs, they do better in school, are more likely to stay in school, they have better attendance in school, they get better grades, they behave better, they complete their homework assignments, and they're more likely to graduate. And I think the important point here is those last couple of notes on better grades, better behavior, and completing homework assignments, that comes from polling data from classroom teachers. So you guys know because uh, you've been in the classroom, you uh, you see the kids who are in these programs and kids who don't have those programs, and uh, you and your colleagues, your peers, uh, come to the same conclusion, that after-school programs really work. And and so on that note, how do you... How can teachers, we know it's after school and, and teachers aren't there, but and sometimes teachers are probably actually staffing the programs. How can, or do you have any advice for how teachers and staff can better work with um, the, the people who are running the after school programs? It is so uh, interesting that um, there's been a lot of research done and 73% of all after school programs are located in a school building. And it is so important to your point that classroom teachers and after-school educators have a connection with each other to be able to share information about what's going on during the school day, what's going on in after-school, so that after-school can try to coordinate with the curriculum during the school day to better reinforce it in that space. But it's a space that is um, low low stress because it's low stakes. The after-school programs obviously aren't under the same uh, burdens of uh, standardized testing or uh, testing requirements that teachers are who are in the classroom during the day. So, Ardeth, question for you. All right, so you wrote an article called The Easy Street to a Well-Rounded Education, and um, in it you talk about the impact, obviously, of after-school programs. Um, and I guess one point that you mentioned that I had never really thought about or was how it impacts different groups differently. And specifically, you mentioned about English language learners. So talk a little bit about how and maybe why uh, after-school programs impact um, English language learners differently. Well, you know, in Massachusetts, we uh, had, it's, I think it's changing now, we had a rule that the classroom teachers could not speak to um, non-English speakers in their native language. So we have a lot of uh, Spanish kids in in some of our communities. And we have ELL teachers who speak Spanish, yet during the school day, they're not allowed to speak Spanish to those kids. So we have this English immersion thing that was frustrating to the teachers. In the after-school program, there is no rule. You just do what you think is the best to reach that child. 
So in that specific case, after school is perfect for ELL kids. Yeah, that makes sense. So I guess the follow-up to that, so we have, uh, you know, success in after-school programs. So why don't we see maybe more of a push towards funding after-school programs, you know, locally, nationally, et cetera? I know. Uh the great question because uh, there's research that actually shows that the, for the persistent uh, achievement gap that we have between kids from low-income families and kids from middle and higher-income families, that achievement gap can be mitigated with uh, those kids attending quality after-school programs. And there's longitud- longitudinal studies that have been done that, that demonstrate that that if kids go to quality after school, they will be on par. Lower income kids will be on par with their higher income peers. So to your question, so why don't we fund that? Um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, it's still an issue of, of getting this idea to catch on. So on a similar note, what's happening with the current administration's proposal to cut back on after school programs? Can you elaborate a little bit on how that's going? The uh, Trump administration uh, proposed to eliminate the 21st century uh, program, which is the, fe- uh, the only federally funded um, after-school program. And that was along with, you know, Meals on Wheels and other popular programs, programs that are popular with both Republicans and Democrats. Now, the good news on that front is that uh, the, the Senate and the House in Congress have uh, – not, you know, followed the president's lead, and instead they both have uh, proposals on the table to fund the 21st century program. So I think we are getting movement in that direction. If it, if it was an absolute, you know, people don't care about this, the House and the Senate, Republicans and Democrats would not have come together to um, put uh, proposals on the table to fund that program. Yeah, Artith, this is Robbie. And speaking from experience, uh, I was the principal of a school with a 21st century grant. And without that, our comprehensive after school program would not have existed. So I, I wanted to ask you kind of from a structural standpoint, since you've been in in local government, I guess you've worked in the nonprofit sector, What what's the most a feasible way for partnerships to happen to support after-school programming? Uh, people. Okay. You know, it, it's, 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 the, it's the attitude of the people. The, the principal, if the principal doesn't care about it, then uh, it's, it's kind of a non-starter. If the after-school program thinks, I don't need... I don't need to know about what goes on during the school day, then it's a non-starter. And I think, um, you know, cluing people into the important research and, and just cluing them in to talk to kids who have been in these programs um, is the key. But without, uh, you know, there's no uh, formula that doesn't include people. What, what would you say, though? It seems to me that many nonprofits have filled a void where school systems have not been active in providing after-school programs. Would you, would, agree, would you agree with that, that these kind of multi-partner partnerships where you have money that comes from different sources and then nonprofits are involved in working with school systems, that that seems to be a model that works? 
Definitely. I mean, community-based organizations that have been doing this work uh, for a long time are really good at it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, and they want to partner more with uh, school systems. I mean, you guys would be better to say than, than me, but it just seems like teachers and administrators have, to, have so many um, you-must-do-this kind of requirements right. that there's little room for like, other stuff. And, then, and so perhaps after school is considered like an extra thing you know, not a front burner issue. Yeah. And I would agree with you that, that I've worked with some nonprofits that have gotten so good at what they do that they, that they would be better at us at at doing it anyway. Um, Okay. Peter has a question for you. Go ahead, Peter. Well, I guess, and this is going back to your other response, your previous response about people. And I was just kind of thinking about um, the individuals who do staff the programs and how you can kind of go about and find them because it is, the reality of the situation is it is difficult sometimes to find people to work, you know, from three to five Monday to Friday. So what is, I guess like, what does the labor pool look like or how do you go about um, finding kid people that really want to work with kids and that are good at working with kids and connecting with kids and all that stuff when it is kind of like a very uh, niche market, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a different dynamic uh, whether you're looking for staff, for uh, community-based organizations or looking for staff for programs run in schools. So we just started a program where, um, an after-school program where we're using uh, or, you know, recruited teachers from the regular school day. But most of those teachers did not want to work every day, three to five. So all we did was we increased the pool of our recruits. So... So now we have enough teachers so that they can trade off and each bring a particular emphasis that they're really good at. And the kids will get used to, you know, I, in this program, I have two teachers. And that's a way to deal with the fatigue issue. Yeah, makes sense. All right, Artis, thank you so much. This has been terrific. Uh, is, can you tell our audience um, – do you have any social media platform that you're working from, Twitter or a website or uh, any way that people can contact you if they want more information or advice about after-school programming? Sure. Um, the name of our organization is the Massachusetts After-School Partnership. Our uh, website is massafterschool.org, and um, all our uh, Facebook, Twitter, and um Instagram accounts can be accessed from there. You know, and, and guys, I just wanted to say one important thing I didn't uh, mention is Go ahead. programs are so important for safety for kids okay. and for supporting working families. Um, and, and that is just as important as the educational component. Yeah, well, speaking on behalf of my co-hosts, thank you so much, Ardith. Uh, we've really learned a lot, and uh, we do know from our own personal experience in schools how important after-school programs are. It's great to hear your perspective. Uh, we also want to remind our audience that the easy street to a well-rounded education can be found in principal leadership. Uh, that's that's an article that you wrote, Artis. When, when did that come out? Uh, I think that came out in the spring. Okay. All right. Uh, last spring, and it was for the, uh, yeah, for the principal's group. 
Okay. All right. Well, great. Thank you again so much. We'll uh, get you back on the show in the future, hopefully. Okay. Well, uh, guys, thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate you having me. Boys, it was great to have Ardeth Weorka on the show. So all of us have been involved to some extent or another with after-school programs. What was your take on what she shared about the importance of them and especially about their impact on the bottom line in schools, which is outcomes? Yeah, and I, th- I think that's kind of like an under-analyzed aspect of after-school program. It's certainly something that I've never thought about. I'm just, it's mostly, oh, what can we do that's fun with these kids to have them in the building and make relationships? And not to downplay that, but I just, I had never even really thought about tying it to any sort of like educational out- outcome whatsoever. Well, she she let off pretty strong. She said what was her phrase? The, the, the results are in, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, she basically yeah. said that research shows that from, from multiple, multiple different, multiple perspectives that, that they're good for kids. And we're in, a, we're in a time now, not now, but like in the last 20 years, I'd say where either families have two working parents or they have one parent who works and after school and they can't go home. Absolutely. So that time is, not, not you can't just send kids home necessarily and and, and be completely um, not engaged. Right. I think those programs fill that void for a lot of families. Can I can I hit you with a Gen X reference? Do you know what, do you know what do you know what we called that when kids went home after school? Oh, come to on. Pepsi. No. Latchkey. Latchkey kids. Very good. Yeah. That's from my gen, you guys. Latchkey. I never really understood. I was not a latchkey because there kid. was a latchkey. Yeah. What, yeah it's... What's a latchkey? I, there's, a latch, the there's a latch. There's a latch, and there's a key that goes in the latch. Oh, so a lock. Yeah. Okay. Got <laughs> okay. it. Great. A, a lock key. Kid. Yeah. Anyway, I thought I was. Anyway. I thought I was going to catch you off guard. Uh, the, no, what, I, I. I must say that I enjoyed. I, I never. I thought that the data that she shared and the actual information she shared um, goes to show you how important these after-school programs are um, for for all kids. The one thing that she said that in her article that I also think is important is. A lot of this depends on principals and their willingness, their ability to work with after-school providers. It's not an easy task. It takes a lot of coordination. You have to have really good point people in your schools to... And you have to know people in the community to get that that stuff in. Absolutely. And you have to maintain those relationships because they can break down. One of the things that that schools sometimes struggle with is they get into these after-school program partnerships and then they don't always deliver on their part. And then that leads to frustration on for all parties. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was a great segment. Once again, thanks to Michael Levin Epstein and Sue Semplis, our producers of education excellence. And thanks to Ardeth. We work as our special guest sharing about after-school programs with us. All right, Mr. Sids. We're back with another installment. It of is that time. Time for Dear Betsy. Dear Betsy. <laughs> that was the bear sound. That was good, yes. <laughs> that was very good. So Okay, what do you hear, got? Did you hear the, the new the news? They're gutting the special education. That's when I first saw the article, I was like, I, I got a little red. Yeah. I got a little warm <laughs> because I initially just thought it was like uh, that's just another thing that that they're doing. So the the article headline was the education department sweeps away special education regulations and guidance. So at first glance, I'm, I, I was I just figured it was par for the course for for dear Betsy. However, and I'm sure you, I, I sent you guys some links. Did you get a chance to you got a chance to look at all the memos that I sent you, right? 
I did actually bring up the list just because I was like, what? What is going on yeah. here? So I just looked at the titles. Yeah. So the, the list includes, if you just let read the headline, it would probably get you angry. But if you dig a little deeper, so they there's 63 pieces of guidance from the Office of Special Education Programs that were eliminated. Um, and some of them go far as far back as almost 30-some years. So there are a lot of them that are... 19, much, I think there was a memo from 1983. Yes, Maybe very outdated. 80, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, so outdated. Some of them are more recent. 2007, there was one that talks about transition programs for vocational rehabilitation for students. Um, so what do you think? Is it a problem? They're just memos, I, actions, I, I guidance? Do, I do think it's funny that, that Betsy can't get a break because the headline in the story was Ed Department Sweeps Away Special Ed Regulations and Guidance, which... You know, uh, for anybody that cares about public education and the support of kids with special needs, or if you're a parent of a kid with special needs, that headline would would make you apoplectic. Um, So it was a little bit misleading. That's my first impression. Yeah, I agree. I I do think that it sounds like the Ed Department is uh, going back and kind of auditing their policies and saying what is is relevant, what is not – I will – the only thing I'll point out that's fairly obvious is that this approach to regulation or cutting reg- regulations uh, um, seems to be a part of this administration's MO on a, mm-hmm. on sure. a, mac- on a macro scale. Sure. So this is just another department in the, in the f- in, with the feds that's saying, okay, let's try to get rid of as many regulations as we can. Yeah, and you know, on the face of it, I, it's like – Okay, whatever. Yes, do a memo from 1983 that provides guidance. I, I don't know enough about how their bureaucratic structure right. works to say, well, that's important or not. The only – and in general, I'm like, yeah, fine, great, whatever. My only hesitation, I guess, is um, just the sheer incompetence of not only singularly Betsy DeVos, but probably I would imagine those that she surrounds herself with. Too, oh, yeah. That, um, you know, just can you trust them to do anything <laughs> right? And making sense that doesn't harm kids. That was well, well, without and, any. And mind you, I have no evidence that anything that they did is bad, but just that they're just generally incompetent. My, my, my thought when I read the highlight high headline though was that um, we all three realize that there is an army of attorneys out there that if they were really planning on. Um, rolling back regulations or policies that protect the rights of kids with special needs or parents, um, they know better than to invite litigation that would make the the Ed Department's life miserable. Yeah. Um, so they're, my, my guess is, is that they're smart enough not to touch things. Right. Uh, that are that are really sacred to the success of kids. Um, that that has, might be a bad guess, though. Yeah, it might be. <laughs> no, I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. It sounds like. Well, and the the quote that gave me pause was: "It's important to note that within special education, there are certain rules that cannot be eliminated or even modified through this process because the Individuals with Disabilities Act, the Education Act, forbids it. So you'd have to create a note. You'd have to have a functional Congress to change it. Yeah." We do not have one of those that, right now. We do not. Okay, little quiz. I'm going to get to the Ooh, quiz show before the quiz. Oh. What is the original – what is the, the number of the original act uh, that uh, provided rights and protections for kids with special needs? The number? Yeah. The number. I, I don't even know what that – Public Law 94142. <laughs> 
<laughs> you should know that as educators. Yeah, so it's, I, it definitely is I, super wow. important information yeah. do, to know. Do you want me to give you a lecture about that, Mr. Nope, because I'm, I'm happy to. I'm good. And you'll remember it if I give it to you. I'm good. Hey, you okay. know what we could do? We could put it in the show notes. Yeah, we yeah, could put it in the show notes. Let's do that. Mr. Sins, in With your, the Mitchell report. In your educational law class, you've had to learn about 94-142. No? You learn about the law, but you don't take the time to memorize the freaking number. I memorize. I, lectures have an impact on me. <laughs> yeah, you're one in a hundred there, <laughs> okay. buddy. All right. Do we have a quiz show? Nope. No. <laughs> I just did the quiz show? Yeah, that, that was, was it. That, that was, was the it. extent You did it. the quiz show. Okay. How many times does the word education end up in the Constitution? Oh, you asked this before. Oh, did I? Yeah. Did I? Can you remember it? Because I said it to you. Zero to three. Okay, what do you think? Uh, that would be zero. That's zero. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, anyway. And yes, I did actually have that in the first quiz show that we ever did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I thought you did. Yeah. <laughs> it's Why good that we remember and retain the information. <laughs> Why are you messing with me like that? <laughs> because I lectured it at you and you didn't remember it. All know. right, Mr. Siddons, how can our listeners reach us? We are on Facebook, so check us out on Facebook. Um, you could also actually email us at edsnotdeadpc at gmail.com. Okay, that is a new thing. Well, we've Say had the again. email address. We have? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right, go it's ahead. It's edsnotdeadpc at gmail.com. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay. So if you added something lengthy you wanted to email us and, and rant about, you could do that as well. Okay. I think for next episode, too, we sh- we need to get some, some Twitter wars going on. We need to either say some ridiculous stuff to get people um, to say. We should go live. Let's go live. Stuff. Can we go live? I don't even know what that is. I don't it even know. Great. Based on the show notes at the yes. at the end of the outline that, yeah. that this rant that Casey put in <laughs> about... Uh, I don't did you even, read it? Uh, yeah, I read it. You didn't read it. I did read it. I, I thought tonight was going to be pretty spicy, but he didn't touch on any of these things. No, we're, it's we're a saving, different show. Yeah, it's a different show. Oh, it is? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then it'll get spicy next time. Yeah. I don't All even right. know how that got in there. Mr. Krabs, where can people reach you? It's uh, school, probably. I'm there most of the time. At oh, Peter Crabo. Yeah, at Peter Crabo. Okay. Mr. Sitz. Why are you so hesitant about <laughs> sharing your Twitter I know. account? He's, he's a total... You were like down with it for a little while. He's a, yeah. he's a total it's lurker. It's he's a lurker. Luster. He's a lurker on Twitter. A classic lurker. <laughs> yeah. And at C.H. Siddons. That's correct. And at R.W. Dodd. Once again, thanks to Ardeth Weworka for joining us as our special guest on Education Excellence. Uh, please join us next time. We have special guest Troy Body in our continuing equity series. Troy is an equity specialist, the director of equity initiatives in the Montgomery County Public Schools, and he's going to be on our next episode of Ed's Not Dead. As always, folks, please reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Spread the news about Ed's Not Dead. And thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. 